everyone. Welcome back to Absurdity. And today I am joined by our, by our savior for the week, Henry Johnson. Henry is sitting on my couch next, not like directly next to me. That'd be weird. Um, but he's sitting across the room from me and sitting comfortably. And he is he is saving the week of Absurdity. Tony and I both had um, incredibly crazy schedules last week. Um, I was in Florida for uh, my mom's hip replacement and taking two different red eye flights and just no sleep, nothing on top of work and other things that were going on. Um, and so we just did not, we were not able to sit down and record an episode. Um, but Henry is here and we had the idea, um, to talk a little bit about the project that we've been working on and, and, um, talk about a little bit of, of where we've been emotionally that caused that. So welcome Henry. Why, thank you for making me sound like the beginnings of a cult leader. You're welcome. You know, you're um, calling me the Messiah and saying I was sitting, you know, probably inappropriately close to you. Well, calling you a Messiah would be an absurd thing to do. Ah, uh, oh, wow, wow, you flipped the script. That's supposed to be my line to make a pun. Yep. Welcome, welcome to, welcome to the lion's den. Yes, yes, we have stepped into absurdity. Now my master plan to take over the podcast network is complete. No. (laughs) Execute order 60, Tony. Oh, bye, Tony. Uh, No, this is, so this is the third time you've been on here specifically. Um, We've talked about music and we've talked about uh, secular versus sacred. That's still one of my favorite episode titles. I think it's like episode 42 or 41. Secular versus Sacred Smackdown. Yep. I remember that. Yep. I love that. That was love awesome. that one. So uh, if you want to hear a little bit more of how, what we've talked about on this show, you're welcome to go back there. Uh, go back to those two episodes and check them like out. Like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away because Absurdity's got quite a run going. Yeah. No, absolutely. So um, in January on the 22nd with the launch of the absurd podcast network, Henry and I also launched a brand new podcast that we had been working on, uh, that we've been recording episodes for since October. Um, and given how, uh, we've had file management issues, we've had, um, corrupt files, uh, wrong mic. We've had to re-record a few episodes. And so it's a good thing we were recording ahead of time. Um, but, uh, we launched in January and it's called a beautiful faith and it is meant to be, it's meant to speak to the half of the half of the faith journey or of a faith journey that absurdity does not. Yeah. Absurdity is more about the deconstructive process. And if you have no idea what we're about to talk about when we say deconstructive and reconstructive, go over to a beautiful faith because the very <laughs> first episode yeah. talks about that. Uh, that being said, or that might actually be what you're going to... Nope. Throw. I'm going to oh, play oh. a different episode. Okay, so okay, safe. cool. Well, then, yes, go get the first episode and learn more about when we talk about that. But obviously, the absurd in life, in religion, in practice, is what gets discussed here. And we have a lot of fun doing that, and Tony and Ryan do a great job. But we discovered that that's only half of the picture, half of the journey. And so we were doing a good job here of saying what's wrong, but not how do you move on from that? Yeah. We had a lot of solutions to fix. Like we all, I always make sure that what we're doing is not just empty complaints and, and critis- criticism, right. right? It's really important that we always offer suggestions for, and, and solutions potentially. And so, and, and the solution has always involved some form of you should engage more in the process, not disengage. Um, and that's, that's how we can begin to fix these things. 
And but it talks a lot more about practical kind of cultural issues and religious issues. And it definitely speaks to a little bit more of that dissatisfaction with institutions, with culture, uh, with faith uh, and um, and restlessness that exists there. Um, it's great at meeting people where they are, but um, there are some people that are ready to not be where they're where where they're currently at anymore. Right. And I mean, and what is here? Here is just there without a T. So we want to get out, tee you up, get out, <laughs> tee you up for a great journey. Well, no, and there's no there's and, and the most important thing here is there's no there's no wrong thing. There's no wrong place to be on the journey, really. Um, if you're if you are in a place where you're angry and doubting and questioning, like that's perfectly fine to be there. Um, if you're on the place, if you're at the place where you want to talk a little bit more about the beautiful things in, in faith and life and, and want to work through some of those works through some of the things that caused you to walk away in the first place, that that's okay too. Like there's no part of this that we, that any of us would look at you and say, you were not at the right place. The goal is, you know, the fact that you're even having a journey at all is important. Um, so the main difference deconstruction is that kind of questioning the things that you've always believed that were constructed for you. Reconstruction is then after you've taken everything apart, it's putting it back together or finding new material or, or how do you move forward? And so basically we wanted a beautiful faith to be a beautiful addition to absurdity so that hopefully you're not going to leave one for the other. This is not like, hey, why don't you switch over? This isn't some sort of competition. This is a, if you're already enjoying absurdity, we hope that this will be like, you're having a meal. Now either have another meal, and that sounds like a hobbit, like it's time for fourth breakfast. Or or have the dessert kind of, of a beautiful faith right afterwards. Yep, absolutely. And so if, there's there's a couple things that we're trying to accomplish and so the first is we do want to talk about the actual obstacles that get in the way with, for people who are on that reconstructive journey. Um, things like unexpected tragedies that happen, um, things that make you, you know, questions that just won't stay away. Um, you know, those, those, you know, what, what about this? What about that? That we can't seem to get answers to. Um, we want to talk to those realities. But the other thing we want to do is highlight the stories of people who have had a reconstructive journey and, and what that what that has looked like for them. Yeah, I'm really excited about that aspect in particular because, uh, as I said, at the time we're recording this, we know how many we've recorded ahead. We have a bank because, you, you know, Ryan being the pod father that he is, knew that we needed to basically... Yep. Just... It's so that we avoid the exact situation that is this episode, yeah. actually. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, that being said, so I know things that are coming down the pipe for A Beautiful Faith and they're they're just awesome. And some of that is also just getting to hear from really awesome people mm -hmm. and their faith journeys. And I, I just think that's just really cool. I don't know of a lot of places in the church where we, we just get to have that story told because yeah. normally if we tell stories, it's all structured in a traditional testimony format, which means you're, you're cherry picking things on the journey to, to make a point. Mm -hmm. um, and we really wanted just to facilitate hearing the good, the bad, the ugly, the remarkable, the miraculous, whatever about just share your story. No set questions, no set, you know, end result you have to have. Where are you on this journey? And some of those have been some of the funnest to yeah. record, period. Absolutely. It is amazing. You, you learn so much by hearing someone else's story. And we've gotten to know people that we that we hold dear to us uh, better as well. And then um, the third thing that we're doing is addressing um, some of those, some of the obstacles that come from scripture that seem to come from scripture itself. 
Um, and so one of the things that we're also doing is, is something called the Bible problem. Um, because for many people on their reconstructive journey, they consider the Bible one of the issues that they have to address and certain stories in it, certain whatever, um, certain things that they have to, that they have to figure out. And we've already released the first one, um, as episode six, I believe. And it is, um, it is on the book of Job. And, and it will be quite a job to get through it, but yes, it is, that's our longest um, episode. Not, not Arrested Development Job, uh, Bible <laughs> Job. Um, so the, but where we try and basically make sense of what's going on and add some context to it. We try not to necessarily preach and we know that we can't have all the right answers and everything correct and it's only an hour show, but it is something that we hope can be helpful to someone on their journey. Um, so... Those are the three main kind of style of episodes that you'll find on A Beautiful Faith. And I'm excited for you to hear the, right after we're done talking, we're going to transition right into a full episode for you if you want to, uh, if you want to take a listen to it. And it's going to be called The Tension of Doubt. Um, mm, and that's so, what we're going with. All right. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about The Tension of Doubt, something that is- I should a, never have doubted you. I feel like it's going to be a good transition from absurdity to there. And once and again- And it's going to be absurd for you to be yeah. here on absurdity. You're actually listening to A Beautiful Faith. But if you've stayed through this infomercial long enough, then wait, there's more. <laughs> exactly. Subscribe in the next five minutes and get all the episodes we've released so far absolutely free. Yep. Just pay- Nothing but subscribe to our Patreon for the Absurd Network and support all the content, Absurdity, A Beautiful Faith, Burn the Haystack, all the wonderful, awesome things, Evan's History Podcast, I believe. I'm no, 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 Matt, one, no. Day we'll, one day we'll get you, Matt. See, uh, Matt, Phil's philosophies. don't fail us. You need to join. Come, join. Join, join yeah, the light anyway, side. I'm getting ahead of myself um, trying to do... No, Phil's Philosophies is, is, the, yes. is the fifth show, and a uh, great friend of mine, Philip Warfield, and someone who's actually been on this podcast back in episode like 22 or something like that, way a long time ago. Um, but someone who, whose voice I really appreciate, whose platform I really appreciate, and I was happy to mentor him into podcasting. You should definitely go check that out. And then we do have one more in the works. I can't say too much about it. But it's going to be good. Um, but it is going to be incredibly good. So, so just remember, it's all free to you. But if you would like to support us, because it isn't free to us. <laughs> correct. <laughs> especially to Ryan, who I've seen eat way too many leftover pizza boxes because he's paying to keep this network Literally, going. I have to eat the boxes. The box. Which, if you get, you know, Little Caesars, that's the great thing why you use it in youth groups, because you never know when the pizza ends and the box begins. Uh, but now that we're never getting sponsorship from Little Caesars, stay tuned for an awesome episode, and we hope that you'll continue to be blessed with absurdity as it returns to normal next yep. week, but also that you'll find this insert of a beautiful faith, something beautiful for your faith, and that you'll uh, hopefully keep us in your podcast system. Yep. And one more uh, just kind of disclaimer, note of clarification for you. In the same way that I try to keep absurdity pretty much non-denominational, um, we do talk about Adventist-specific issues, and I try to be very transparent about that. Um, a Beautiful Faith, we've e tried to do that even more so. Um, and so, yes, our Adventist worldview and framework comes into the picture a little bit, and we're always clear about when that's happening. Um, but for the most part, we try to talk about faith as, as much as possible from a neutral point of view. Um, and kind of a, a, you know, without trying to just color everything by our own Adventism. We'll always be honest about our own beliefs, but... Um, this is meant to be any believer, anyone who is interested in being a believer can step in and listen to, and it can be something edifying to you. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on Absurdity. Enjoy.
a preview episode of A Beautiful Faith. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to A Beautiful Faith, where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. And if you're having a bit of tension with your faith right now that you're not hearing Ryan give the typical introduction, it's because we're just changing things up to see if you'll really stay listening if it's not Ryan speaking. Is this... Are we, are we really changing things up four episodes in? Like, is that just... Or, like, at what point does something become normal? Is that your lingering question? Yeah. Yes, it is. Also, I hate you. Um, and this is what happens when I let Henry take over the intro, um, which I'm going to point this out for this moment right now, just in case um, I end up changing the episode title. But the working title for this episode is the tension between faith and lingering questions. All right. Just so you understand the puns that you were just subjected to. Um, if you need to go back and resubject yourself to them to understand, that's okay but please don't do it for your own sanity. It's called my prerogative as a co-host. Uh, so, um, no, you are you are an equal part of this, Henry, and I am, uh, which is why it's called The Beautiful Faith with Ryan Beck. No, <laughs> well, <laughs> you are an equal part of this, and I'm glad you're on board. Um, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm excited about this one, uh, and I think this this is going to be, I'm excited about all of them, I don't care. Um, this, is ex- this is cool because I think we have an opportunity to talk about something from the purely interactive standpoint or the experiential standpoint without needing, without tasking or burdening ourselves with, with the task of answering the questions themselves. Yeah. Spoiler alert. There are no answers in this podcast. Yeah. I mean, we may, they may sneak in here or there. (laughs) I don't know. At least things that we find personally persuasive, but that's going to be up obviously to the listener to determine on their own if that, if that's something they really jive with. Well, that's one of those. So faith and lingering questions is, is basically this, right? The the purpose of a beautiful faith is to talk about the reconstructive journey. And the problem with the reconstructive journey is that occasionally you run into questions that uh, either you never got the answer to when you had faith the first time, right? Or you run into brand new questions that you never considered. And you're thinking, well, I'm so sure of this. I really want to head in this direction. And these questions can stop you up. Or these questions are just ones that you just really are wondering and you've been looking for the answer to. And it seems like nothing can satisfy you. And one of the things that makes these questions, these questions, some, some are more, some are more uh, new than others. But for the most part, a lot of the standard questions that people deal with in this area are questions that we've been asking for as long as Christianity has basically been a religion. Well, and not just that, as long as people have existed. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah. If God is, if God exists, is he good? That and is, if he is good, why is there evil? Yes. And what is my point in life? And yeah. should I be happy? Or, you know. Whatever. And when it comes to, when it comes to Christianity, it's, you know, what about LGBTQ plus? What about, um, what about these very specific things? What about some heinous stuff in the Old Testament that I see? What about yeah, right, Old Testament are, God versus New Testament God? Which or what's that, the role of other religions? That right? would be like tell, saying absurdity Ryan versus a beautiful faith Ryan. That's <laughs> true, <laughs> um, true. But yeah, that's the the um, it's 
it's interesting to me mainly because I think a lot of us don't want to settle with answers that may be satisfactory um, at face value, but we, we don't like them because, well, that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like it could be that simple or, well, that's just what everyone's always told me. And I don't think that's right instead. And, and it becomes kind of this, this desire to, to serve ourselves, right. Or like to satisfy some desire to be different or be contrarian. It can partly be that. I think the other part is when you're faced with questions where things that are commonly held or taught or you've come to seem to clash with reality. Yeah. Right. So you're like, okay, I was taught this, but then you, and you might be fine with that for a while until you hit a situation where you're like, I don't know if that answer really is going to work in this case. Yeah. You know, does this really, I don't see how this is going to positively impact this situation. And so you have to wrestle with it. And I think both, both sides of that spectrum are, can be experienced by the same person, right? I can, I can encounter questions that I just don't want to accept the answer to. And then I can encounter questions that the answer I've been given just wasn't enough to actually deal with life. Right. Like the answer itself was not enough. And so I think we're going to deal with some that are kind of a, a kind of across the spectrum there, but really our job on this episode, I don't think is to address the questions themselves, though I think you and I will open up a bit here. I think what we're really trying to do is just figure out like, how do we navigate this? And what are the things to keep in mind on this journey as we're encountering lingering questions? Yeah. And so um, I think a, I, I think a good way for us to start that would be basically what's a question that, <laughs> that you and I, what are questions that you and I deal with? Because I, the other, the other thing that I don't want to do in talking about this and really anything on this podcast is talk about this from a perspective of someone who's not dealt with it. Right. If I'm not dealing with it or I haven't had any sort of experience with it, then I'll bring, then I want to bring someone on who has. Um, but ultimately I want everyone to know that the principles or anything that I talk about, I want them to know that I'm trying to figure out how to apply to my own life or I'm working through that, or I already have worked through it. And like, these are the things that helped me through those, those, those instances or those situations. And so I think a, a good place for us to start here is just to share a question that, um, both of us still kind of struggle with that. We're still trying to find an answer to that is completely satisfactory or um, seems like it's enough to settle it in our minds. Right. And right. Um, so we still have faith, but these are things that challenge us yes. still, even in that journey. Yeah. And that, and that's the, and, and I think that's the question we're answering today. How do you maintain your faith when you have lingering questions? Yeah. And um, so my lingering question right off the bat um, is, Young Earth versus Old Earth, and is um, is Genesis one or are are Genesis one and two literal versus kind of poetic um, or or figurative? Now I tend to lean. Oh, before before we even yeah. get to that, we should probably back up and explain if people have not heard the term Young Earth versus oh yeah um, Old Earth theory. What what in the world are we meaning by when we when we say that? And if I'm correct in understanding, this is this comes almost from a creation versus either theistic evolutionary or an evolutionary biology kind of standpoint about the origins of Earth. The idea is the Earth young, so it was created relatively recently. Now, I know a term that's thrown around in in some evangelical communities is kind of the idea that the Earth is like six or seven thousand years old. Mm-hmm. 
versus, and they'll go, that's versus like evolutionary science that says it's billions of years old and, and it took to develop that. So you have people that will say, yes, the earth is relatively new. It's really young. God created it only a short time ago, comparatively in, in history, and it will be done soon versus those that go, well, no, the earth itself, and there's varying degrees of explaining that the earth itself is much older than that. It has existed yeah. for some time in the cosmos kind of thing. And so usually, this is, I understand it, when people have that debate, the first thing they usually fight over is, are you coming at this from an evolutionary standpoint or a creationist standpoint? And I don't know if exactly you can clarify for us if that's the direction you're going, but it sounds more like just, hey, what is, um, what is the reality of kind of the creative narrative? Like, I don't think there's a doubt in your mind of God's creative work at at play you're obviously a person of, yeah. of faith but no, it's more i come like, from it i come at it from a creation standpoint like the question is the timeline of it all in regards to the the age of the earth itself and what that means as far as biblical interpretation right my cure my, my 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 and i think this is this is where this stems from for me what this stems from because here the theory is for a lot of people the theory the accepted theory for a lot of people really is genesis one and two which is the creation account um that is largely a parable or a kind of an illustration of creation, but it's, it's written in a poetic form. It's written in a literary, not a factual historical literary form. And so between that, and then they see this, all this, you know, evidence against young earth creation, right. That they say, well, there's no possible way. This has got to be allegorical or whatever. And my, I think this all stems from me from a hope and it's just an easy way out hope of uh, like that there's some way to reconcile old earth evolution with creation in a way that is, that just kind of the builds the bridge between both yeah. camps and the problem solved. Look, we're all right. Yes. Yeah, I would love for that to be the, the case. <laughs> and every which way I go, there's a million philosophical implications and there's all these issues like, and, and I can tell you yeah. the one thing that I will say, the one thing that keeps me in the literal camp on this is that the rest of the scriptural narrative or the biblical narrative flows out of Genesis one and two naturally. Yeah. There's no break. There's no time skip. There's no, like it just we're we're into Israel's story starting with Adam and Eve being created in that garden that was, you know, and in, in the earth that, that God had created in Genesis one. And all of that naturally flows out. And so if you are going to say that Genesis 1 and 2 are just a poem, well, then you have, you have the difficult thing of arbitrarily picking where in the world you're going to start yeah. the actual story of Israel. You're going to start with Abraham. You're going to start with Noah. Um, and how do we know those aren't parables? How, yeah, exactly. And so you, you open yourself up to a lot of wormholes, or wormholes. You, you open yourself off to a lot of potential roadblocks and obstacles, and... So I, that's the one thing that keeps me in the camp of literal. Um, but I, um, and I could, and I, and I could see a world where, yeah, the earth is much older than, um, than we give it credit for, you know, that, that, that young earth creationism would claim. And as a seventh day Adventist, I know I believe in the Sabbath. And one of the major claims in, uh, for a lot of people regarding the Sabbath is that the Sabbath hinges on there being a seven day creation because God told us to rest on the seventh day. Um, and that 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 the idea of the Sabbath as an eternal commandment finds its kind of eternal uh, significance, yeah, significance right. and relevance in the creation story because it's 
this happened way before, <laughs> you know, from the very beginning, the Sabbath was built in. Why would it be suddenly done away with? Right. And for me, um, I don't care. <laughs> That's like God could have done it in any period of seven sevens and the Sabbath would have mattered if God had said, um, Hey, be fruitful, multiply the earth. He never rested. Let's say God never rested on the seventh day and just created man and woman. And then was like, Hey, by the way, every seventh day, I'm going to need you to take a break counts for me. Right? Like it, I don't need seven literal 24 hour periods in Genesis for me to prove to, for me to believe in the Sabbath. Um, I understand those that do. It's just for me personally, that's not the deal breaker. That's not like the straw that'll break the camel's back. And this is, this is a lingering question I've had. And yeah, I do hope that one day there's just an automatic bridge that gets built. Um, but that is something that I've struggled with. That's something I've looked into a lot, um, and wrestled with. And, um, it, it, it is an interesting thing because yeah, when the rest of the biblical narrative flows out of Genesis one and two, what you believe about Genesis one and two really does matter. matter. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good segue into your question, which is a shared question. Yes. Yes. Just so a, we're clear, this is a shared question. So we're not throwing Henry under the bus. Well, well thank you for that. I mean, cause I'll, I'll stand I, I love you. tire treads on my face. It, <laughs> it feels great when the patterns are kind of cool. Anyway, no, uh, <laughs> A question I still wrestle with in faith, and I, I don't think, like you just said, I'm definitely not alone in it, and this is definitely probably much more a 21st century question, although I'm sure it's been asked in, in many times. It's just more prevalent in the modern uh, Christian conversation, if you will, is really on LGBTQ plus issues, and not so much as in like issues like they're a problem. That's not what I mean by that, but I mean the role of LGBTQ plus in the church. So in other words, not like, do they exist? Is this hereditary? Is this, is this a choice? I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. That's, that's not really where I spend a lot of my time, like trying to debate. It's, it's more like, okay, there's clearly this community that exists and how as a Christian, how as a church, am I to relate to them when it comes to issues of faith in the church? Like not, how do I relate to them as people? They're human beings. Okay. I, yeah. I, if the, well, of course, that's a debate, unfortunately, some in religion are having as to whether they're even human beings, it seems. But uh, these are people just like you and me, and this is a, a shared experience for them. So my, my point is not a debate as to whether I treat them with respect or whether I can interact with them like I would with any other human being. I, I guess the question is, how do what role are they allowed or not allowed or whatever to fulfill within the faith community? You yeah. Know, what, and, what is their place in church, so to speak? Yeah. And that, and that depends a lot on what you, uh, how you interact with the texts in scripture that, that deal with LGBTQ plus. I mean, I, the reason I struggle with this, uh, I will tell you flat out, this is the reason I struggle with this. Um, I've got six passages in scripture, four of which are, I would consider relatively relevant as far as like, you know, something that we would still look at as more than just contextual talk to a group of people in the Bible. And um, we would, it seems, it seems overzealous to ban, banish, treat differently, whatever, um, an entire social group of people based off of four passages that we're still arguing about mm. versus we have 2,100 verses in the Bible taking care about taking care of the poor, the orphan and the widow. And we got no doctrine on that. 
<laughs> like we have no official church statements from any that I've seen of any denomination other than, yeah, we like to do this thing. And the unofficial doctrine is we just ignore them. Yeah, exactly. That And that that's my, th- like, yeah, you just roll up your window or turn up your music or look straight if someone is, someone is panhandling on the side of the road, yeah. right? Like this is how we treat this. And, and so I'm like, why are we so zealous about four passages? Yeah. Six, if you're going to consider all of them, when we can't even be zealous, when, when there's something so clearly uh, more emphasized in scripture with over 2,100 in reference. Yeah. Or the thousands of references about finance in the Bible. And don't you dare talk about money in the church. Correct. Right. Or how the church spends that money. <laughs> um, so th- that's why I struggle with it. I struggle to just to deny these people entrance into which I'm not the one that denies them interest into God's kingdom to get me wrong, but right? right. Deny them privilege within and deny them rights within the church community um, because of six verses or six passages. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Cause the, yeah, it's not just like one verse, but it's everyone has some passage with some context. So that's, that's why I struggle with that. Um, and it's hard. And this is one of those questions too, that I think it's not one that you can just like live your life and not have a problem with unless you never ever encounter an LGBTQ plus person. Right. Which means are you living under a rock somewhere? Are you like just staying in your room all day long? Yeah. (laughs) For real. There's, I mean the, you have to deal with this one with some sort of urgency or some sense of urgency because you've got people that will, you will meet that want to know where do I stand with this? Well, well, in a sense, I think both, although obviously I guess when you say young earth versus old earth doesn't sound like it would be nearly as important. I, I think both, both are questions that you have to deal with because they both address fundamental human questions. Yeah. The origins. And then how do I relate to another human being? Yeah. And, and like you said, I think we, especially as people of faith, we have to in some way, shape or form, address it and not just for, so I can be doctrinally pure or faithful or whatever we want to call it. But because, I mean, do we care so little about other people that we don't want to wrestle with answers to things that other people are dealing with? Mm -hmm. Just because I don't deal with a particular thing does not mean it's not important to another vast majority of people just as important as I am. Yeah, and the the idea that like oh I don't want to wrestle with this right now. This is just too much. It's too hard, right? Like, imagine how hard this is for the people actually living it. Yeah, and then you're saying, yeah, this is too much for me. I'm just like I don't care about them enough to really want to deal with this. I get that it may not be the thing you're most passionate about because once again, these people may these people identify this way. You don't. But at the same time, if you're going to be in community with people and relate to human beings as the gospel calls you to do in faith then there needs to be some sort of some sort of kind of decision or conclusion reached for you on this. Right. And I think it matters because like you get into really hairy gray area situations that I've no, I I still don't have an idea. Here's one of the questions I I deal with um, in this category. Let's say someone, and this is going to happen more and more over the next decade, but really over the next 20 years, right? Let's say you're someone that believes that because I think we have, we're going to have listeners here that are, from all sorts of different backgrounds on faith. Right. And we'll have all sorts of different interpretations on how they, you know, interact with this. So let's say you're someone that believes LGBTQ plus is wrong, right? The, the practice of, and in, in acting out of those of, of that attraction is wrong in any way, shape or form monogamous or not. 
and um, let's say someone is now transgender. They come in and then 10 years later, 20 years later from now, they get, they, you may say, well, that's not happening now. It will be happening, right? Someone tries to join the church who's transgender and then wants to get married. Yeah. What do you do? If they've gone through the entire process of transitioning, what do you do? And this is, what, what does the church do there? And what do you do if you believe it's wrong? Do you tell them that you just can never get married? Or do you say, ah, oh, the biology, you know, you not specifically having a part doesn't mean you still can't marry. Like, yeah. do you see, there, there's all these little, and I'm going to let people's imaginations wander where they will on this, but there's all these little offshoot paths and, and, and branches you can go down on these questions. They quickly tangle you up. And it's incredibly difficult to, to come to a conclusion on this. And, and, and this is what the church has been struggling with for, for sure the last, what, 60 some odd years in, in, in the, because of the politi- political sphere in the West. I mean, if, if we don't come to some sort of personal conclusions as faith communities and as individuals of faith now, you end up reactionarily ad hoc coming up with stuff that probably contradicts itself and causes a lot more problems than need be. You know, it's kind of like a wise person once said, he said, the problem with sticking your head in the sand is it leaves other parts of you very exposed. Mm. And so I sometimes feel like as people of faith and even in my own life, I've stuck my head in the sand on issues and then I get a swift kick of reality in ways that hurt or hurt other people because I wasn't willing to, to address things. And, and that's, uh, we owe it to everybody, including ourselves, not to do that. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So these are, these are the questions that you and I, these are a couple of the questions that you and I are dealing with. And I think you're more settled on the question that I wrestle with than I am, or than either of us are on the question that you're, that you're, that you're wrestling with. Yeah. Um, and I think that's okay. Like the, the point of this. People I, have different questions. Right. Yeah. You know. And I, and I think for me, the crux of it, and if you can't listen to the rest of this episode because of time, then the one takeaway that I have from today is this. The fact that you will wrestle with it at all is a good thing and is something to be continued. Yes, I would much rather somebody ask questions than ask no questions. Yep. As a, as a teacher, that always terrifies me. If someone is not asking questions, they're most likely not thinking. Mm. And that ends in a far worse place than someone who's willing to struggle with something and wrestle with it and examine it. Well, someone told me today, um, earlier, earlier today, they were asking me some question and they, to see if I knew before they went to someone else and asked and in my, in my office. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. You're going to have to go talk to them. And, and they, they replied with, I just wanted to ask you before I went to them and, and looked dumb. And I said, no, no, no. You're not dumb for asking this question. It's the exact opposite. The fact that you want to make sure you have the right information makes you smart and it makes you wise versus someone who never asks the question and just assumes something to be true or just never addresses something that's a big deal to them. Um, that's, that's someone that I would consider dumb at that point. And dumb is reversible. <laughs> yeah. the, the way to fix that is to start asking the questions and decide I'm going to actually do the hard work of figuring this out. Um, and wherever that takes me, that takes me. And so, yeah, I think, I think it is smart to ask questions and I think it's a good thing to wrestle with the questions that we do ask. Well, and we need to, because isn't that one of the arguments, by the way, not just of Christianity, but of a lot of faith communities in general, is that a lot of well-meaning, well-intentioned, very highly intelligent people 
view faith as something that people that don't want to use their mind engage in, mm. that you check your brain at the door and then go in and believe a bunch of hocus pocus, whatever, that if you really were to bother to ask questions and examine, doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Um, you know, as a, as a Christian personally, I, I tend to follow the understanding that there's many times in the gospel, all four gospels record, well, three of the four gospels record him saying this, uh, Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I feel like it is a Christian duty, this is just me personally, but I feel like it's a Christian duty to utilize my mind to wrestle with questions about God, humanity, the world around me, that as a Christian, I should be the, I should be more than anyone else willing to actively engage my mind, not check it at the door. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the church is finally really starting to get a hold of letting people ask questions because they've realized that people will ask those questions one way or the other, with or without them. Yes. I think we're, the internet has enabled us to go past a day where we couldn't ask those questions anymore. And you may say, well, no one talks about this. No one talks about it. No, people are talking about these things. If, if, if they're not talking about it in your religious sphere, they're going to go somewhere else to talk yeah. about it, but they will talk about it. There are countless books written on young earth versus old earth. There's countless books written on Genesis 1-2 being literal. There are, I'm, there are. There's countless books on LGBTQ plus and faith in Christianity and the Bible. Um, just saw a new one that I'd never heard of today. Yeah, I think you were looking at the same post I was. Yes, you know, yep, that's exactly it. it. So there's, right, these are things that are being talked about. And, I and think, interestingly enough, in that post, there was already an argument within like five minutes of the thing being posted of people saying, you shouldn't be asking these questions. You're, you're, yep. you're basically going to hell if you, if you ask questions. Yes, um, which, is, which is sad, but that's something that happens. And I think, I think it's important that we figure out how to ask these questions also in our own context. And I think that's where that complaint comes from. No one's talking about this. No, they are. And churches, are, I think, are finally starting to get to the point where they realize they need to let their members ask questions within their spaces, which is where the church, where that should have been happening all along anyway. Yeah. And it's a tragedy that it ever had to leave the church to, to be able to ask questions honestly and openly. I mean, heck, the Big Bang Theory started from within Catholicism, right? Yeah. Some of these, some of the biggest things that have challenged the church have started within the church. And so... Kind of like the ignorant parent philosophy, of which I, you know, disclaimer, I'm not a parent, but the idea that, you know, they say parents don't want to talk to their children about sexuality or issues, and they go, well, if I don't talk about it, nothing will happen. Well, no, yep. they're going to talk about it, but if you're not talking about it, they're going to get it from school or from media or from something. I mean, people yes. are going to, the conversation's going to happen. So I guess the question comes on, where do you want to have it? <laughs> Right. Or mm. who is best placed? Where's the safest place to have that conversation? You know? Yeah, I agree 100%. And so I think if you're a pastor listening to this or any sort of ministry leader, I would ask, I would try and find a way to incorporate letting people ask questions openly, honestly, without, rep, without repercussion, Yeah, regardless of their position in the church. So whether that's submitting questions, I used to, as a pastor, have a box of questions for the pastor they would be asked anonymously, and then I would uh, type up the answers. I'd print them out, and I'd leave them on a table in the in the sanctuary for Sabbath morning. And I'd leave enough copies that if a few other people wanted answers to them, cool. But it would be kind of a blanket way to give someone an answer to a question. Hmm. And uh, without having to know who they were, they could easily pick one up. Several people could pick one up, and we'd all be good. Um, and, like, there are ways to do it. I, you know, I work with high school students a lot. I let them text in questions. 
Um, I used to use a Google voice number so that I wouldn't even be able to identify the numbers that were texting in the questions or save them as anything um, in case there were kids in the class that I already knew and already had my cell phone number, right? There, there were ways around all of these things. Uh, now we're getting, we're seeing a lot more done with like Slido and which is slide S L I period than D O. Um, and that's a, like a live polling thing that you can use. So there are all these ways to incorporate questions. And I would say like hundred percent, if you're a, if you're a ministry leader, you should be looking to answer the questions that your congregation or that your ministry leaders and team members are asking, because if you're empty preaching and teaching um, on, if you're preaching and teaching on things that they're not, that they don't care about, then why are they there? Yeah. Well, that also kind of comes down to, I, I think all things in, 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 in faith can be relevant, but knowing the timing, timing is important too. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I had, about I, timing, I had a mentor yes. that once, that once told me when I entered of ministry in a formal role, he, he once asked me a question. He's like, let's say that you want to go do a, a teaching or a, a sermon or something along those lines to a group of people. And let's say you have a church and you decide to tell them about how good orange juice is. He's like, now you could probably factually prove that orange juice is good for you or that it has all these health benefits or that the mm-hmm. reality is, is blah, 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 blah. He goes, but what if in that 10 member church, eight of them are going through divorce? Do they really care about orange juice at this moment? If it could save their marriage. Well, if it could save their marriage, but his, his implication was you have to kind of know your audience's pulse before you can yeah. correctly bring them, you know, you got, you got to deal with things in order, <laughs> something in in a time. So yeah, we, we, you have to be able to make this space to, to deal with questions. Yeah. So, all right. How can you justify the rest of your faith in light of still having questions? How do you justify having faith if you have these things that you are still left unanswered? Well, a, a good place to probably start that would maybe be answering again personally, since we brought up personal questions we had. Um, that would be a good thing to kind of flip back on you first and maybe see if there's something that we can glean from both of our experiences. So, Ryan, how do you still justify the rest of your faith in light of questioning young earth versus old earth or whether Genesis 1 and 2 is literal or poetic? Ladies and gentlemen, we've just experienced what is known as stalling for time. That is what Henry is doing. <laughs> well, I mean, um, fine. No, I can, no, I mean, no, no. I can, I can go first. <laughs> I, I can go first. That's I fine. could not resist that. Okay, look, here's... <laughs> here's how here's here's how I justify my faith um, in light of that question that question to me and I'm going to come back to this later but that question to me is not one that is the crux of my faith like the rest of my faith does not hinge on answering that question that question to me is an auxiliary or supplementary question where the questions that matter to me are um, I think the character of God and I think the, um, you know, the real, the, you know, the realness of Jesus and kind of the, the likelihood of scripture, I'm not going to say the fact that like, the hundred percent factual ability of scripture or, you know, um, but I think the likelihood of these stories being true is important to me, um, in whatever essence they're true. And, um, I, I think those are the big ones for me. And what does that mean for my life then? And while, yes, the character of God question can be answered by or can be partially answered by whether you think God would allow death before, like, right, if you're someone who's a theistic evolutionist, it's likely that that you probably believe something in the way of 
there's a gap. What's the the gap theory or whatever, where it's like there's a gap between Genesis one and or Genesis one one and one two, which says yeah. in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth was formless and void, and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Um, and there's a gap between that. No one knows how many years that could have been, and the earth could have been ravaging on, and that could explain all the billions and billions, and explain. Um, and give room for evolution theory. But then the the problem, the implication you run into is that God, if there's evolution, then God allowed for death prior to sin entering the world. Well, not just that he allowed it, but that it is actually a necessary component of making humanity what it needs to be. Because yeah. the, in evolutionary theory, that's just it. The weak and the genetically not adequate is eradicated in favor of the strong and the yeah. selective gene, right? So, So the idea is that you would actually need death as a vital component to make the correct mm-hmm. man or woman yeah. or whatever. Right? And that's, that's something, um, that's something that, that like for me, I know that the character of God can be addressed in that, but that's not where the character of God is addressed in the most significant way for me. The character of God is significantly addressed in the gospels mm. and through Jesus. And I think I see it in revelation and I see it through, um, through the story of Israel and that's what, that's where it matters to me. And so that's where, so for me, it's just an auxiliary question. Um, and that's why I can justify it that way, by the way, fun thought experiment. And I love messing with people's minds on this one because this is, this is going to, this is going to leave you in a, in a conundrum. And I'm sorry for us being slightly inappropriate for the next five seconds, but did Adam and Eve defecate before the fall? Really? You went there? I did. That's no, just a fun thought I, experiment. I'm sorry. That was a really crappy thing to do. Thank you. I, I take pride in um I take pride in my in my work. Um and yes, I did catch that pun. Um <laughs> the Yeah, because you, you have to either wrestle with the idea that bodily waste is either a product of sin or the or the food at the beginning was was perfect in every way. But then if it was perfect in every way, God would have had to make the digestive tract the way it is which means that God creates man with the expectation you know. to, uh, that they will sin. In which case, then you get into faith and predestined. Like it literally like that question can really mess with it with someone's head. So have fun with that one, by the way. Um, I don't have an answer. So other than that, I don't think <laughs> I will say my answer to that is I don't think waste like, like I don't think food waste if coming from your body is actually a bad waste. Like, I, I don't think wa- just because we call it waste, or defecation isn't necessarily means that it's a bad thing and can't exist. Especially when you look at the cycle of like animals and with, with what is it? Cow, uh, cow pies that are actually can act as fertilizer. Right. So um, there's, or you could be a gorilla that has to, there's certain species of gorilla that have to eat their poo because they have to double yeah. digest. And then if you're a dog, you have to, because you just see it there and it's tempting. So this was a great sidetrack. I, I was going to say thank um, you for passing the time. You're by- welcome. Um, so yeah, just have fun with that one the next time you have a family get together. Um, or don't. So, Or don't. Um, so Henry. <laughs> Thanksgiving I've, would be I a have, great time to have that conversation. Um, Henry, I have bought you enough time. Um, how do you justify your faith in light of your question on LGBTQ plus and the role in the church? Thank you for granting me all the time. I didn't necessarily need because then anyway, <laughs> no, but yeah, how, how I justify it again, it would kind of be, it, it would kind of be the same thing to, to me. It is not the, the locus point of faith. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's an auxiliary issue because I, I, I want to be very careful not to minimize its importance to other people. 
And, and so sometimes I realize I'm going to be like, you know, like, we like, well, that's easy for you that it's not a vital question because I'm, I'm not wrestling with that particular yes. issue. Uh, so I don't want to minimize that like, well, it's just really easy because that issue doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. That, that, but at the same, at the same time though, it isn't your struggle. Correct. So it can't be as important to you as it is to someone who's, 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 identity is that way correct so i mean so again remember as part of again a self-explanation we're answering this according to our personal journey but that doesn't mean that these questions don't move up or down the spectrum of importance depending on your life experience correct or your faith journey this if is young earth is important to you or old earth is important to you it's important I mean, yeah, you might you might be working in paleontology or, mm -hmm. you know, geophysics. I mean, you know, I don't. So these could be things that you wrestle with every day, whereas Ryan and I don't necessarily walk around and have people walk up to us wanting to know about the fossil record or about yes. flood theory because, you know, they just know better than to waste their time trying to get an intelligent response out of either of us on that. But anyway, uh, the point is why. So that so that question, it's just a I haven't had to a, it hasn't been vitally important in my life and how I go about it every day to have needed to have addressed it concretely uh, prior to now. Uh, but the other reason how I justify the rest of my faith in light of that question is that I am a Christian. I am not a sexologist. I almost spit out my water. <laughs> <laughs> and when I... What I mean by that is that the, the point of my faith, as I understand it, is a follower of Christ, not an explainer of sexuality. I just thought it meant that you weren't married. But yeah, that works, too. Well, well, you know, well as you know, nowadays, you don't have to be married to, to, <laughs> to go through that. But that's a different topic for another time. The, no, but my, my, my point is, right, the whole point of Christian or Christ follower is, should be what is the nature of the Christ that you are following? Mm. why are you following this person right so yeah i mean it could be a secondary question like well how does he or she or it or whatever treat this issue or people that deal with this right but that, that's what i'm saying so for, for me it was more important to to determine what is the nature and character of the being entity person whatever that i am choosing to orient my life around yeah right because Let's be honest, if if I figure out really quick that they're a narcissist or they're just vindictive or manipulative or, or, or something else, then it I, I it I don't have to waste time trying to figure out what they think about 10 other things because I've already lost trust in them anyway. And I already know that whatever they say, I don't view as valid. Yes. Right. So I don't have to. It's kind of like to me go, putting the cart ahead of the ho horse. You know, do I really want to answer this question when the more important thing is what kind of horse is it? And is it really pulling that wagon or does it need to be? Right. Once you can determine that. It's, so for me, again, we've talked about my story. Logic is a very big thing for me in philosophy. So I kind of just back up the question. And I go, there are predicated questions before this becomes vital, because depending on the answer of the one that comes in front of it, it's going to dictate why this matters when I get there. Yep. Uh, so for me, kind of, again, like you, the, the, the character of God is much more important to me because it is kind of like tying it back in a little bit into Genesis, it's kind of like the idea, okay, fine, whether this is a literal or poetic story, both poet poeticism and literalism say that God created. Yes. So the more important What's question the is, is it good news that God created or not? 
And yeah. to me, that answer rests on what is the nature of the guy making stuff or the entity making stuff. Mm-hmm. If the guy made the earth because he wanted a new playground like Walt Disney to put all the little minions down here and like a despective Zeus angry at the little folk down the mountain, he's just toying with stuff through worldwide floods or fireballs or whatever else. Well, then that's not really good news for me that God has created anything. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, that's just great. I got the one being that I really didn't want involved in bringing stuff into existence. Right. Versus, hey, this God created because he wanted joy and life. That question, as I said, is, is just more important to me. So the, the way I justify the rest of my faith in light of the lingering question, I, I guess in a really practical is this my my disclaimer is on my faith journey i have personally been persuaded that the god of scripture and by scripture specifically the biblical record in the most commonly accepted canon mm-hmm. which is the 66 books of the first and new testaments um and 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 not to pick on any of our roman catholic listeners that would be like well wait a minute what about the apocryphal mm-hmm. books that are added in obviously in the first testament so even including those, I'm not getting in a debate on whether those should be in there, just in the the widely understood Christian canon, which is a fancy word that just means the measuring rod of, of what is valid or what not, we have chosen in the two major groupings of Christianity, Protestant evangelicalism or Catholicism or orthodoxy, that this, this idea of in the scriptural narrative, what, you know, what that says about God, and I believe that it specifically says that, that God is is supremely interested in the best interests and happenings of others ahead of himself. Mm. And because of that belief that I hold personally in that, when I wrestle with a question like LGBTQ+, or young earth, old earth, or whatever, the way I view it is that because I feel like I have a convincing answer on the nature of the God that this question then stems around, I can what I know about that God, I can trust him with the answers I do not yet have. Yes. If that if that makes any sense. In other words, what I do know about him for sure gives me confidence that whatever I will eventually figure out about said topic in the future, I will be okay with it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean I know what the answer is, but that that that's how I justify my yeah. faith, is that I go, okay. The thing that really, if, if I didn't have a firm answer on his character, then to me, and this is something you kind of hinted at earlier, maybe we'll morph into this, maybe this is the time or maybe not, that the idea is you have to decide what's your deal breaker question. Yeah, words, what's we all the, have what's questions, the thing that your but, faith hinges on? Yeah, because we all have questions, but like I might have 15 different questions, but out of that 15, if you know they do those hypotheticals, they're like, if you could only get an answer to one of them, which one would you... You yeah. want or whatever. And I have to go, there are some questions that are just more important to me than others. And that yeah. doesn't mean that my same most important question is the same as somebody else. But at the same time, I have to go, if I cannot get anything else but at least one question answered, what is the one that's make or break for me? Mm-hmm. Right. And and just because of my life experience, obviously, you know, like the question we brought up about LGBTQ+, it, it's not, that's not the break it question for me. For me. I yeah. totally think it's valid if it is for someone else, but just from my life experience, that's not, that's not the break it. Like if I don't have the answer tomorrow, I'm not just like, I'm done with the whole, mm-hmm. the whole thing. 
So yeah, that that's how I justify and continue in my faith is because the the picture that I personally understand about deity, about God, I trust that picture of him or it or whatever, you know, getting specific with my wording. I, I trust that God to be able to eventually handle and or provide the answer to the questions I still have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just press forward with that. I think I, I would take it even one step further here. And I would, I would also add not just what your deal breaker question is, right? What's the question that everything else hinges on, but also what's the source? What are the source questions? Because regard like your, your answers to your questions are going to inform the answers to other questions you yeah. encounter. And so you've got, you've, you've got to decide what direction you're going in. So let's look at the, um, in thinking of the LGBTQ plus question, right? And we're just talking about the question. We're not, there's literally no statement here on any people. Right. We're just right. talking about the fact that this is a question that we are un, 100, we are not 100% sure of the answer on. That's all. Yes, That's all that not, is. We are not claiming to have an answer um, in this podcast. So if you think we're trying to hint at something, we're, we're not. We're just yes. openly having word conversation trying to kind yeah. of wrestle out loud with it. And like, if I had to put my question specifically as this, it's not, I don't doubt that God doesn't, that God loves LGBTQ plus individuals. God absolutely loves them. Yeah. And would do the entire scriptural narrative all over again for one of them. Yeah. Right. Any individual in that camp. Um, my question is, what does that love mean for them and their lives? Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm stuck with that. But in that, in that question, one thing that if you if you decide an answer to this right if you say lgbtq plus people can't be in the church all right well when you start asking why and then you start talking about god and you start wondering the character of god well your answer to the who what the character of god is is going to be informed by what your answer to the lgbtq plus question is yeah, because it's a god what, who would include everyone wouldn't exclude people well, and that kind of brings up a point again. It depends on what direction you're going in the questions. That, yeah, no, that's if you what I'm answer saying. things yes. out of order, yes. then some of the ones that are more foundational get influenced by the periphery versus the other way around. Yeah. And so I think I think a good way to, to reevaluate your questions is not it's not that the question is bad. It's just what are my questions to the answers that may inform this one? And and what are some questions that may inform this one? And you may discover that just by talking with people about it. And that's why I think we need to be able to talk about the questions. Um, I think there are some people that may never have realized before our conversation now that there's the character of God is so intertwined in that. Yeah. Um, and even what you believe about Genesis one and two is entwined and intertwined in that. If you believe Genesis one and two is literal. Um, there's a lot of implications that has implication for the LGBTQ plus question. Yes. Um, and so I think, and, and the other, the other part of that question too, um, man, the church has really screwed those people over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that group over. It really has. And we have we have really messed this one up. And what 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 do we do? If if what we believed this entire time is true as a church, what do we do and how do we rectify the problems of how we've mistreated? So there's there's all these yeah, there's all these branches that I keep going down and I'm sorry. Um so this is I, I do want to deal with this. Um how how do I deal with urgent matters that I don't have the answers to? Right. So I have, I'm undecided on young earth versus old earth and I'm a pastor and a member comes to me and says, pastor, what, 
what do you believe about this? Like, I'm really struggling with this. My faith is hinging on this. This is the deal breaker question. This is the hinge question. And I don't know. Um, do you, what, what, what's the answer? Um, right. So that's what I mean by urgent matter. It is a matter that like, it it's going to impact your real present life right this second or, you know, this week or, you know, right now in this season of your life. Uh, how do I deal with those? So how do I personally, or how in that, um, I might be confused by the narrative or how do you, as uh, pastor yeah, I'm, I, I'm kind of putting just, myself in the shoes of someone who's asking that. Okay. But okay. I mean, yeah. How would you deal with it? How do you wrestle with that? That's a, that's a, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the first thing is you're going to have to take a look, at least in my mind, the first thing you have to do is take a little bit of the stress off of yourself by admitting that it is okay to admit you have this question and that needing to find the answer is important. Mm. Uh, because if you, if you're not, if, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when I when I deal with certain people that are, are struggling with things, or even when myself are struggling, sometimes we, we make it a lot harder on ourselves to find the answers because we're beating ourselves up for not having it. If that, if that makes any yeah. sense. Like, you spend half your emotional and mental capacity that could be engaged in finding an answer wrestling with why you even have the question to start with or why you're supposedly so dumb you can't find the answer or why are you the only one that seems to care about this when nobody else you talk to or might end up talking to trying to find the answer seems to care? I mean, because that's happened too, right? You get, like like you said, it's like, I need to know the answer between young earth and old earth right now. And you run up to a pastor or a ministry leader or someone in faith or your parents or a sibling or a spouse or, you know, whatever relationship you're in. And you run up and this is vitally important. You're like, man, I just really need to know the answer. And they're like, well, dude, you know, it's not that important. You have time. Right. Are, are people mean? Well, whatever. And so you go, well, why does nobody else care about this? Am I the only dumb person that, you know, yeah. so sometimes we, just, we, we waste more time debating the validity of us asking the question than pursuing the answer. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I'd say is just from a practical is just give yourself a break. Right. If you have the question, know you've got it, but accept that it is okay to have it and it is okay to want an answer to it. And I think if you're someone who's asked that question too, the other side of that coin is understand and accept that it's okay to say, I don't know yet. Yes. And that, well, and that's huge because that's another thing I think it kind of ties back into earlier why the communities of faith have not always been the safest place to ask questions, um, you know, is, be, is because, is because we're not, I'm just losing my train of thought right there, but I no, mean, no, no, what yeah, the, the, the beauty we've been, we've community, we've set up communities of faith as communities of answers. Yes. And you go expecting an answer. And this is actually one of the things I'm very jealous of Judaism for is Judaism is very much a community of questions. Yeah. Um, they question your questions. Um, what is, what is in the afterlife? Well, what do you think the afterlife is? Um, like it, it is very much a, a faith of that, that does question and wrestle and debate and, and, um, and struggle with these things. And, and I think we, we put the expectation as members, as lay members, as whatever, as the church historically on pastors and teachers and ministry leaders, presidents, whatever to know and tell us the answer rather than actually doing the work of journeying together through it. Because if you can just tell me the answer, then you can save me hours worth of time. Well, it's both intellectual laziness and it's, it's, it's also unfortunate that we have made, well, really for lack of a better term, it's basically modern day Gnosticism. The idea that somehow we are saved by knowledge 
And hmm. so if I don't have it, my salvation is at risk. So I cannot, or my value is somehow inherently less than the person that does have an answer in that field. Yeah. And so therefore I can't admit that I don't have an answer. Somehow that delegitimizes yeah. my experience. Well, and not only that, it's a pride thing. I don't, I'm not going to put this just on the church people. I'm going to put this on the leaders that have for years said, um, have years have given answers to questions they don't know the answer to. Right. For some of them, it's pride. They want to be seen as knowing everything. Yeah. They want to be seen as competent and they're trying to prove themselves. And, and what they say is in my desire to prove myself, I'm willing to sacrifice your faith. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. And your faith is just a, a sacrifice on the altar of my pride. And that is, that is inappropriate regardless of, regardless of who started expecting answers from pastors. The fact that, that church leaders and pastors started giving answers to questions they don't know the answer to, um, that's on them. Well, part of that is us actually, for lack of not using non-religious charged language, it's basically us playing Christ. We're basically yeah. making gods of ourselves because we assume in most definitely Christian traditions, the idea is in a lot of faith communities, you would assume that the deity has the answers. Well, if you're now the representative of said deity or standing in the place of said deity, right, individual theology is not, notwithstanding, then if you do not have an answer, then the implication is that God doesn't have an answer. Yep. Right? And so we think, well, I'm doing God a favor by proving that I've got answers. Well, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I want to I want to make this intensely practical now because we we've we've brought up some good things and, and a good step is to find out what your deal breaker questions are what are the source questions what direction are you asking your questions in find those things out for sure but what are the practical steps if I'm looking for an answer and now as a result my pastor just listened to your episode Henry and Ryan and now they keep saying I don't know whenever I ask them a question <laughs> well, so where am I supposed to go to ask where am I supposed to go to get the answers yeah it's it's, a, it's like something a, a, a my therapist has told me, I don't know is not an answer. It is a call for you to go searching. Yes. Because a lot of times we just excuse it at, I don't know, as if that's the end all of the, well, look, I admit it. I don't know. Look and at me. I don't I'm do so anything good. about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know is not an answer. It's a statement of fact. You just don't know. Right. So kind of go back to the practical. And the first thing I said is don't beat yourself up for having the question or it being important to you or needing to find it. Uh, second of all, I, I would say be prepared for a majority of people you might ask about it to either A, not have an answer for you, or B, not share the same enthusiasm or desire for the answer as you do. Mm. Because sometimes we can get discouraged that way. So it's not like, okay, well, they don't have the answer, so I'll go to the next one. And you just, you can handle it once or twice, but when eight, nine, ten, Yep. Church people or friends or family or whatever, all like just, I don't know, or uh, I don't care, or, or, you know, and get discouraging. Yeah. And, and, and discouragement is the great wasteland of finding answers, right? Because you're just like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't have the energy to keep doing this by myself. I hate feeling like I'm alone uh, on this journey. Um, you know, which brings up another third point. We, we are not called, I don't believe, biblically or in many faith traditions, you're not called to do this by yourself. Um, who says that you have to find this answer, even though it's vitally important for you at this moment, by yourself? Statistically, there is always somebody else that is probably asking the same mm -hmm. question. 
So, you know, maybe something that'd be a little less depressing to do is when once you realize that it's okay to have the question or that you have it, B, when you decide I'm not, I'm going to be prepared for people not to share the same enthusiasm or desire for this question. Three, spend a little bit of time right off the bat in something that's not even like finding the answer. It's finding people to go with you on that journey. Mm -hmm. Find some, find the encouragement of someone else that is just as desirous of finding that answer. Yeah. You know, I mean, having someone to encourage you when you get down or vice versa. I mean, that, that can yeah. make the journey so much better. Well, and, and right? I think too, the community also gives you encouragement to, to, and reaffirmation that the, the road you're on is the right one, even if you don't know the answers yet. Yeah. So you're, you're putting yourself in a position to still see God move in other ways, even when this, this other question just hasn't been answered yet. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can serve as an encouragement um, to say like, yes, okay, I, I'm still in this. And I know an answer will come. Um, and I think, I think for me too, the, the answer I would add to this is, is to be patient. Um, I think almost every single person I know that has been engaged at one point and then no longer engaged, like the engagement broke off. Um, all of them years later have said whether they got married to someone else at the time or, or I mean, after that, or they're, you know, they're still single usually says something to the effect of, man, now that I look back on it, I'm really glad I did not get married then. Yeah. Um, I was not ready for marriage at that point. And um, there are sometimes when with our questions that I think we are not ready for the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that we're waiting on, and this is why I think God, you could see God move in so many other ways. And yet he can't just answer this simple question for you um, is because you aren't ready or you will not accept that answer yet. Or the way he would answer it, this kind of gets back to the character of God, which if you, yes. haven't, if you haven't noticed through this entire episode, you'll probably notice a lot, but both Ryan and I, I think, share a very similar understanding that, that a lot of things are built upon and understand what your view, view of, who God of, is. Yeah. of God is. But in, in our personal belief, forgive me, Ryan, if I'm you know, lumping you in with this, this also comes to a point where I've noticed that sometimes the way we demand God to answer it or we think he could answer it or whatever, if he were to answer it in that way or at that moment, it actually would impugn upon your free will to mm-hmm. make a decision with the evidence. It's kind of like the old saying, people are like, well, I believe in God. If, if, you know, I prayed and told him if he just show up in my living room right now, I would believe in him. And it's kind of like, uh, I just kind of in my weird imagination thing, if God were to show up in my living room, after praying that and like, let's just say like a traditional understanding, like a bright light and I'm down yeah. on the ground and whatever. And if for some reason I wasn't vaporized instantly. Yeah. In, in, in that moment, it's like, okay, God's right there and all that. Am I really believing in his existence now? Or do I have absolutely no choice, but to be compelled to recognize his existence at that moment? Because I mean, how are you going to argue with it? It's not a, In other words, that answer is not really giving me an answer to predicate belief on. It is overwhelming me with such a weight of evidence that whether I chose to believe in it or not, I have no choice because the end result is you either accept reality or you die kind of thing. And honestly, God's existence does nothing to determine whether or not you'll follow him. Yeah, because again, it's who is he? (laughs) Even the devil knows that God exists. Anything he has more proof than we do. Uh, Yeah. Not following him. Right. Just knowing that God exists and giving someone 100 percent proof does not mean that it's going to do anything to change the way you're living currently. Yeah. And so kind of again, back to the thing, if you're like, well, I just need an answer to this thing now. What if God just immediately just mm-hmm. overwhelmed you with a dump truck load of, you know, a metaphorical dump truck of 
information and facts you can't argue around or anything else, and boom, there's your answer. Um, but like you said, you're not re- you're not at a point yet where that is going to. It's either not as beneficial to your life, or sometimes something I've really this is going to sound very philosophical, uh, kind of stoic. But what if sometimes the most important thing about the questions that we wrestle with is the journey to the answer, not the answer? Yeah. Sometimes I have learned more about myself and life and and God through the journey of wrestling with the answer than I got when I was like, oh, there's the answer. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was nice to have it, but by that point I was like, well, that wasn't as useful as this experience getting here. The yeah. friends I made or the things I learned about myself or the other answers I had to, I ended up accidentally getting along the way that I didn't know I needed for this answer to make sense. Right. It's kind of like someone that could explain particle physics, but if you don't know the basic building blocks of atoms or whatever, then, you know, you're still going to wrestle with, okay, but why does it work that way? Mm -hmm. You know, okay. Yeah. I technically have the answer here, but that doesn't help me know how, why that had to be the answer. Yes. That right. When, when my, when my dad passed away, knowing, knowing why he died, knowing the cause of death didn't really help anything. And it didn't change what reality was. I still had to accept the fact that he was gone. And that, that's, um, that's with a lot of these, these questions that are that way. Um, and, and so I agree with you, and I second all of that, and I think we do come at it from, from very similar perspectives here. Um, I think for me, my final input here um, is in the, journey for question, in, in, in the journey for answers, as you're reading, as you're Googling, as you're WebMDing your faith, um, and finding out that you just, have cancer where, you know, your question, actually the answer to your question is that you just have cancer. Cause that's how WebMD works. Um, the, our analogy. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I had this reaction to peanuts up. Oh, you have cancer. Um, not, not allergies. Nope. WebMD tells you cancer. Um, I think in your search for an answer, do not be afraid to give the faith you deconstructed another look. Yeah. In other words, I think sometimes our journey for an answer comes out of bitterness from the answers we've been given in the past and our unwillingness to even take a look or give those a chance again. Yeah. And we're so mad at our old denomination or we're so mad at this, these, this, these church members. We're so mad at these Christians or these, these whatever faith, right? Um, we're so mad at these people um, that I, there's no way this answer could be right. And I think don't be afraid to look back into your, into your old denomination, your old faith. Look at authors that you look at sources that you hadn't read before, right? Look at, look at opinions that you hadn't heard because it turns out that your denomination or your faith background is likely bigger than the community you grew up in and the perspectives vary widely. And if there's anything I've learned in my experience in, in a, one of the, um, one of the lesser known Christian denominations is that even in, even in something that's smaller compared to, you know, um, all of evangelical Christianity, um, there's such a wide variety of answers to these questions among people that all call themselves, um, a part of the denomination. And so for me, that, that, that's something that's really important. And I think part of the, part of God's journey with you to get you to an answer is to deal with the bitterness and the grief and the hurt that you are still carrying from your past. And so let that be an encouragement to you and know that if you are someone in the LGBTQ plus 
um, group and you're identifying that way, know that, that, you know, Henry and I, we both love you. And I think the reason we're both wrestling with this question is because we both have people in our lives that we do love and that this impacts heavily. And we're not just satisfied with a rote. Correct. Whatever. Um, Yeah. And I think that's an important point. I'm glad you brought that up to to say too, because as I said, sometimes again, finding answers requires intellectual honesty, not simple, but it's, it's vital. And just like any, you know, it's a firm principle of science to bring that back in. The only way you can find an answer with a hypothesis is it has to be possible for that hypothesis to be the answer or something totally opposite Yep, uh, to be the answer. And it's kind of like the old saying, if I have, to, if I walk through the woods and I come upon what appears to be a plane crash and there's seat cushions everywhere and oxygen mask and piece of rotor blades and, you know, half tiny little Coca-Cola cans and stuff and, you know, peanut wrappers or whatever. And I come up and go, huh, what happened here? And I have already told myself planes don't exist. Mm. Am I ever going to really find the answer to what happened there? Yeah. No, you won't. Sorry, that yeah was misleading. But I, it was uh, a yeah, uh, I'm like, I agree yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you see, you see where I'm going with that? In other words, we have to be open to even what we don't want being the answer. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest with that, too. I mean, there's been times in my life, there's things I believe now that when I look back even 10 years, I would have thought it the height of, quote unquote, apostasy or evil to believe said things, right? It's just, there's just no way that could be possible. And I couldn't find answers to these things until I finally was just like, you know what? I want the answer more than I want to be right. Mm. Uh, I had to be honest with myself. I couldn't find the answer until I was willing to be wrong and know the truth, then right and not know it. And that kind of comes to the final thing, round circle, like you said, with other people. Some of these answers may have been given by completely un loving, unkind, and misguided, but also hurting other, you know, hurting people. You're realizing potentially that the answer that you seek is something that those kind of people gave you in the past. Accepting that truth is not, a, it's not validating the methodology yep. of the people that gave it to you. Mm. If that makes sense. So, so yeah, somebody could have told you, I'm just picking on the thing again, the earth is young, but they told that to you when you came up to them going, hey, I'm in this biology class, and the professor said whatever, and I'm not sure, and they're like, how could you be so stupid to believe that Satan-worshipping, atheist, libtard, whatever, that yeah. told you it, and they like beat the living snot out of you verbally, and then like the fact that you would even ask it, ah, bah, and you're not a good Christian or whatever, and you know and they just treated you with contempt and disrespect and trashed your character. If one day, let's say, you were seeking an answer to that, and for the sake of the hypothesis, you know, the the illustration, all of a sudden you're like, the Earth is young or whatever. You accepting that does not mean that now that person that treated you with such horrific contempt and and cruelty doesn't mean that they are right as far as the way in which they presented it because there's a lot of things that are true that people can believe and and i think this may be something we wrestle with too we often quote truth not just with fact but with the emotional experience we have in learning it Mm. so so in other words you know i mean but here's the thing Facts and emotion can often be two separate things. 
I think there's a lot of people on the planet that believe in gravity. You know, serial killers probably believe in gravity. That doesn't mean that because I believe in gravity, I now accept serial killers. You know, ser serial killing yeah. as a valid Way of method life. Of, of, of life kind of thing. And so, I mean, that's an extreme case, but that's just it. You can accept facts without embracing the behaviors or attitudes of other people that also may believe, believe in that thing. same fact. Mm. Yeah. Huge. Well, yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think, and, and if you have been burned by a church in the past because of your questions or your life, um, hear it from us first. We're sorry that that's happened to you. And we uh, pray that, that you can, that you were able to move forward from that, that you were able to find healing from it, um, and that you can encounter, um, you can have an encounter with faith that is no longer colored by those negative experiences and that baggage. And, um, you know, we, we hope that you find the answers that you're looking for and on that journey. And thank you for being with us and hearing our struggles and, and our doubts and questions as well. Um, this is, this has been a great conversation and we're looking forward to, um, we're looking forward to next time and, uh, and what's coming on in the next few episodes. So thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.